and welcome to another episode. I am so pumped to be sharing my conversation with Isaac. He is so cool and I just really appreciate his vulnerability and I'm grateful that he was able to open up about his journey to sobriety um, on this podcast and so that you all can listen and, um, you know, take something important away and I'm sure you're going to really enjoy it. He also has an awesome accent because he's from New Zealand Shout out New Zealand for being the first country to eradicate COVID from it. Um, So yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. Slide into my DMs. Let me know what you think. Um, Subscribe and rate and review the podcast. I really mentioned that, but it would really help if you did. (laughs) Hopefully give me five stars. And yeah. Uh, But before I jump into the episode, I did want to talk about BetterHelp because they are one of my incredible sponsors and... Um, Isaac opens up a lot about how much therapy has helped him. So I thought this would be a good um, sponsor to quickly plug before, you know, jumping into our conversation. BetterHelp is the largest online counseling service. I use them. I am obsessed with my personal therapist. They match you based on like your specific needs, what you want to get out of therapy. Um, And then, you know, you can always switch therapists if it isn't the right match immediately. It's also great because it's virtual, which, you know, all therapy is virtual right now, but um yeah it's super convenient you have unlimited like ability to text or um have as many sessions as you want and it's definitely helped me navigate this insane past whatever 12 months um yeah and you can also there's financial aid they're amazing i swear by them so if you want to get 10 percent off your first month you can go to trybetterhelp.com slash zoe that's Try betterhelp.com slash Zoe, Z-O-E. Get 10% off your first month. Promise you won't regret it. There's no better thing in therapy. Um, yeah, but anyways, here is Isaac. and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to virtually be here with Isaac Hinden Miller, also known as Isaac Likes, who is a fashion industry insider and DJ in New York. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? What's your I'm story? I'm a 36-year-old New Zealander, and I have been living in the States since 2011, I have been down in Miami for the last couple of months, like two months, but I, I still have my apartment in New York. Like I'm, I live in New York. <laughs> um, and um, I moved to America initially as a fashion writer. I used to uh, travel around the world on the fashion week circuit. I mean, I guess I still do, but due, uh, due to coronavirus, it's not happening right now. Um, and yeah, I was a journalist and a blogger. I used to write articles on the internet and for magazines and newspapers like the New York Times and stuff like that. And um, then I became a DJ in, I guess, 2013, 2014. And that's what I've been doing for the, for the most part since then. Have you been doing that in Miami too now? Uh, yeah, I am playing one night a week at the moment in Miami. That's got to be fun. The super spreaders. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Been seeing a lot of, a lot of videos. I'm sure you're good. Um, so you mentioned you moving to New York city in 2011. What was that transition like, like coming from New Zealand? I mean, I don't know much about the country <laughs> except that it's, you know, people are called Kiwis and um, sometimes go on Love Island, Australia. <laughs> but what was the transition like? Was it hard? How did you acclimate and make friends? I it was. I loved moving to New York. Um, I arrived in New York and I immediately felt free. Um, I came from like New Zealand is an amazing, amazing country. Like we're famous at the moment because we've um, dealt with the coronavirus better than any other country in the world. Like we have less cases, I think, than any other country. And we have this amazing young female leader who has like, you know, just made us incredibly proud on the world stage. Um, so yeah, New Zealand is an incredible country, but I always felt like it was a little bit oppressive for me when I was growing up. Um, it's, it, I came from Auckland, which is a city of one and a half million people. And I guess I always felt like it was this, goldfish bowl sort of situation yeah and everybody's like looking at what everybody else is doing and when I arrived in New York City I felt like nobody gives a shit like you can do anything you want and also like New York is unlike any other place in the world like freaks are welcome yeah and I, I always felt like I was a little bit of a freak and um and it felt good to be able to express myself however I wanted to without any fear of people thinking that I was a weirdo or anything like that and yeah, so I guess I like I slid into New York and um, I was kind of like a party animal when I when I arrived. I was um, I got heavily involved in the nightclub scene real early on, and so I guess I found this like tribe of people who wanted to party like I did. I lived with a bunch of Australian male models, um, <laughs> like crew. There was like this crew of New Zealanders and Australians, and. Yeah, like I, I, I found friends pretty easily. And I always used to describe moving to New York. Like, remember the very first time you logged into Facebook? This is like, I don't even know if you do remember, but like, this is like an old oh, room. Yeah. But um, when you first logged onto Facebook, like within like a day, you'd have 60 friends, you know, like you'd be like, you know, Facebook would suggest all these people to you. Yeah. And I found that like moving to New York City was kind of like that. Like, <laughs> like you'd make a friend and then that introduce you to someone and they would introduce you to someone yeah, and yeah. you're partying with 25 people and then 50 people and yeah I think that's the best part about New York I mean I grew up in that area so it was different in the sense of I knew people going in and it was almost like it had the opposite effect of like you kind of stick to your bubble but I'm very much an extrovert and I like meeting people so I tried to um you know steer my own path but it's funny that you mentioned getting into the night club scene um, along with your Australian male model roommates. I used to work in Greece um, on the islands and like Greek islands are run by Australians, like Australians and Irishmen. Um, they just are, are, they definitely have a um, unique way of partying that I've never seen portrayed in any other place in my life. Um, did you think that was like when you were going out, do you think, that it was like New York that was bringing that out in them? Or do you think that was like the people themselves? No, I think that that's just like, I think that I've always described Australians as like um, rowdier versions of New Zealanders. So like <laughs> New Zealanders are like the more refined version of Australians, right? And 
but I've always been somebody who likes to go out a lot. I, I don't go out so much these days, but I used to go out a lot. And yeah, like it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, the thing with Australians is that bad behavior is celebrated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the big difference between New Zealanders and Australians is that New Zealand was uh, colonized by the English middle class and Australia was colonized by the English prisoners. Interesting. And so I think they have that kind of like bad behavior mentality that is that comes from their history. And yeah, bad behavior is really celebrated by Australians. And it was kind of like anything goes and the crazier you behave, uh, the more they want to party with you. And so like I got into that in a really, really big way. Like I ate that up. That's really interesting. So I, for some context, I first heard you speak on Lindsay Metzler's podcast. You're one of her first guests. Um, and then I re-listened yesterday. And I was interested because in the podcast, like a, a bunch of what you talk about is, you know, your journey to sobriety and, um, you know, now being sober and how that's kind of affected your, or at least in the episode you talk about how that was affecting your dating and, and whatnot. So I was wondering if, you know, do you think that, there was obviously a correlation between going out, partying, bad behavior, et cetera, and, you know, drinking. Do you think that you developed an unhealthy relationship with alcohol? Or do you think that was something that was, you know, predisposed in your DNA and thus inevitable or a combination? I definitely think predisposed. Like I always had an unhealthy relationship with the world, I think, from a really, really young age. And I was always doing something to try and change the way that I was feeling. And most of the ways that I tried to change the way that I was feeling were not always, you know, like were not the most positive things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so whether it was like attention seeking behavior or trying to get validation from people, especially in romantic situations or, you know, like taking drugs or drinking or partying incessantly in an, in an attempt to change how I felt on the inside or wearing clothing that I thought would make people like me better or dating people that I thought would make me look cooler, you know, like all these different things. And when you have a personality like that, or, you know, like when we talk about alcoholism, we talk about alcoholism, not just as this um, dependency, chemical dependency on drugs and alcohol, but it's also uh, this internal hole that you're trying to fill with things. And I definitely had that hole inside me from a really, really young age that I was desperate to try and, and fill. And, um, you know, we talk about how the only thing worse than our problems is our solutions to our problems. And my solutions to the problems were always getting me into more trouble. That's interesting. I actually had my next question was like, do you think drinking was the problem or the solution? And, and it seems like from what you're saying, the solution. Yeah. I mean, drinking really worked for me for a long time. It, it broke down barriers between me and other people. It made me feel more comfortable in my own skin. It definitely acted as an amazing social lubricant to, um, to help me to meet people and help me in romantic situations. It made me feel cooler. It made me feel more confident. Uh, but it also, you know, like, it was in, it was really difficult to control my behavior when I was drinking. Uh, I I would also like the flip side of the fun was the erratic negative behavior, and for every good night that I had, it was you know like the calm down was was always bad. Yeah. So it it seems like I mean you have a lot of self awareness around this now. Back when you were you know drinking heavily. 
was there anything in the back of your mind that was like, this is filling a void? Like, or did it take, like, when did you start realizing that, you know, your relationship with alcohol wasn't healthy and that you, you should address it? Or was there like a tipping point or was it like a really, you know? Really early on. Okay. I, I come from a background of um, my, my parents don't drink and my dad's dad was a pretty heavy alcoholic and he was the sort of person who would like wake up and start drinking whiskey at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had always seen what alcoholism looked like, but also I think that the way that alcoholism is portrayed in the world is a very like one dimensional version. Like you see the alcoholic like that, like my, my grandfather who would wake up and start drinking and act in embarrassing negative ways at family gatherings, you know, Mm -hmm. like the homeless alcoholic who's on the park bench, but alcoholism and drug addiction um, are kind of like the great equalizer. They affect anybody from, you know, we, we talk about how it affects people from park benches to park Avenue. And, you know, like I know Fortune 500 CEOs who were injecting themselves with heroin on a daily basis, you know, like, yeah. And and just because somebody is successful in their career doesn't mean that they're not absolutely destroying their lives. Yeah, definitely. And kind of, as you said, it's like filling, filling a void. So when you do have that much quote unquote success, there's probably a lot that's missing, you know, from these Fortune 500 CEOs' lives or, like, they feel that's missing. And, then, and like, yeah, outwardly, outwardly, I yeah. portrayed a version of my life that, like, people would have thought that everything was going amazingly well for me. You know, I was surrounded by these cool, attractive, beautiful women and cool dudes. And I was at all the great places. And I, I knew the doorman. And I, you know, I was drinking for free and all, you know, all this stuff. And I, like, really curated... Uh, especially on Instagram and stuff, I curated this version of my life that looked great. Like I was in Paris one minute, I was in New York one minute, I was in London, I was at, you know, like these nightclubs, whatever. And it was really important to me that people thought that everything was was going incredibly well for me in my life. But what people didn't see was the like waking up in the morning full of regret and shame and embarrassment and looking at my phone and seeing the like nasty text messages that I'd sent the night before and the, you know, the, the, the stupid ways that I behaved and having to like delete all of my text messages from the night before. Cause I didn't want to have any record of like the sort of shit that I've been getting myself into. And so like everything looked good, but the feelings didn't match the external. And do you think that by having your, like, you know, your social circle, consist of other people who like to party like to drink a lot do you think that was kind of a way for you to rationalize your own habits like 100 percent. like i i've i used to think to myself like why am i the only person who seems to be unhappy when everybody's doing what i'm doing and now of course what i know is that like i just didn't see what they looked like when they woke up i didn't see how Mm -hmm. they felt when i didn't know what was going on behind you know like behind closed doors i didn't know how they felt And um, it was my mom actually who said to me, because I called her up one day and I basically just like came clean and told her all the stuff that I've been doing. And I was like, I don't understand why I'm so miserable when everybody that I surround myself with is doing the same stuff. And she basically said to me like, you have to compare yourself to people who don't take drugs on a daily basis instead of people who normalize taking drugs. You know, like Mm -hmm. most people 
will never take class A drugs as long as they live. You know, and if yeah. you're doing stuff on a on a daily basis, then like, you know, of course you you know, of course everything is going to shit for you. Um, and and you're just like surrounding yourself with people who are co-signing your crazy behavior. Do you think that there can be a difference between having that lifestyle and having like a quote unquote healthy relationship with a quite unhealthy lifestyle and having a problem with addiction? Like, do you think you can go out, party, do drugs every day and not have a single, you know, kind of, as you said, like not be using it as a coping mechanism? Or do you think that that lifestyle in itself is unhealthy and like all of those friends should address it? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, when I first got sober, I was definitely that dude who started like preaching to everybody, telling all of my friends that they had problems and they needed to do what I was doing. And it didn't win me any friends or influence anybody to get sober is the honest truth. So like I have learned now, like I'm, I'm six and a half years sober now. Like I, I've learned now that like me telling other people what to do or trying to diagnose other people definitely doesn't work, doesn't help anybody else in their recovery. And if anything, it just like, turns people off and, and, mm-hmm. and make them want to go have a drink. <laughs> um, so like, I, I can't diagnose anybody else, but I can say for me that like, there was no way that I could drink and use drugs on a daily basis and have a healthy relationship with it. And also the amount of friends that I've had who have died of overdoses and people, you know, like you go to the funeral and people are like, Oh man, it sucks that they, you know, that they use bad drugs that it had fentanyl in it or something like that. And it's like, there's no such thing as good drugs and bad drugs yeah if there's something that can kill you you basically i think that you're a fucking idiot if you do it yeah i'm a fucking idiot if i do (laughs) so i was like so i don't i don't don't believe in this idea of like good drugs and bad drugs i don't believe in people uh, i don't believe in myself having a healthy relationship with class a drugs yeah no i i totally see that it's and and i know for my inside sorry to cut you off i know for myself I can't have a healthy relationship with alcohol either. And I think that if you look at just like the statistics in the world, alcohol is one of the leading causes of death in the world, whether it's like, you know, like drunk driving, whether it's suicide that is, you know, alcohol related, whether it's like depression, which like then, yeah, they're all comorbid. Like domestic violence, almost always alcohol has, has something to do. There's so many different situations and and negative things in the world that are caused by alcohol like to me it's the most powerful drug of all mm-hmm. um because it's so socially acceptable everybody seems to turn a blind eye to all the negative effects but i know for me like the amount of people have come up to me and be like oh come on like you could just have a glass of wine with dinner but like i don't want to have a glass of wine with dinner yeah because it's not like that's black and white like <laughs> it's not like oh you can have one glass I never had a glass of wine with dinner. I've, I have no interest in drinking wine. Like I want to drink vodka and tequila and take drugs. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, you know how your mom said when you're comparing yourself to like that bubble, cause it kind of reminds me of college in a way of like in hindsight, looking back on the behavior that was so normalized of just like, I went to like a very intense school. So like working like super hard, like taking, you know, Adderall and, um, all those different drugs to focus and then blacking out on the weekends. And then like looking back on that and thinking like that was not 
healthy. And it's sad that that's kind of, you know, a common story for many um, people in college these days. I mean, I don't know now because of COVID, but um, yeah, it's one of those things where it does, I think, take an outside perspective, not preaching at you, but kind of giving you like a new lens to look through to reevaluate your own situation. Sure. And it's funny to me because it's like, I never blacked out. I blacked out one time in my entire drinking history, right? I was not a blackout drinker. I would puke a lot. And I, I think my body just had that thing where it's like, if I got to the point where I drank too much, I'd start puking. And for some reason that would like stop me from blacking out. But like, I wasn't a blackout drinker. I never drank alone. I never drank at home. And these are like three things that people talk Yeah. Three pillars of being an alcoholic and none of them applied to me. I only ever drank in bars and nightclubs. I only ever drank with other people and I wasn't a blackout drinker, but I definitely was still an alcoholic. Oh, that's so interesting. And it, yeah, it, that is interesting that you just said like, you wouldn't like wake up and have the whiskey you weren't drinking alone, but it's again, not black and white. I, it's interesting. So I think maybe it's just me, but I feel like quarantine has, quarantine and COVID, everything has really like, caused me and I imagine other people to kind of reevaluate their own relationship with alcohol and other, I don't know, class A drugs, whatever. In that, like, you know, people started being at home drinking alone because you couldn't socialize. And also just, you know, in New York City especially, you have, like, Postmates and uh, Drizzly or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> like, you can literally order things on the like with your phone and they'll be there in 15 minutes. So I think, I don't know. I think it's, I imagine if I'm feeling this way, other people are too. Has like a lot of people step back and be like, wait, should I be having like two glasses of wine like a night? Is that, you know, and kind of questioning. So I guess what would you say to someone who may be thinking that they could possibly have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol? Like what questions should they be asking themselves? I think that like the we talk about like in 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 the sober world we talk about whether your life is made unmanageable by your drinking right mm -hmm. and everybody's version of unmanageable is completely different somebody's might be like you know drunk driving and killing somebody that's unmanageable somebody might be losing a job somebody might be losing you know like somebody's version might be losing a relationship somebody's version might be waking up hungover and feeling mm -hmm. bad about themselves um somebody's version might be like acting in, in an embarrassing way one one time you know like everybody's version of unmanageable is really 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 different and we talk about you know hitting rock bottom, but then your rock bottom has a trap door. You can always go lower. You can always go further than what you thought was like the worst thing that you could do. And I don't know about anybody else, but like the amount of times that I said to myself, I will never do that thing. Like there's one thing that I'll never do. And then I would do it. And then it would be like, okay, well I've done that, but I'll never do this. And then I would go and do that. Mm -hmm. And I guess if people are finding themselves behaving in ways or finding their lives going in directions that they thought weren't possible, you know, and that um, the abnormal is becoming normal in somebody's life, then yeah, maybe their drinking is something they need to, to look at. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way of putting it because it is different for everyone. Like 
yeah, waking up hungover and having to, you know, log in and go on a Zoom call. Like, for me, that's, that's pretty un- unmanageable. Like, I wouldn't want that in my life. And, but like, as you said, it, it does, it's very um, relative, I guess is the word. It's definitely, it's definitely relative. And, um, and then also, like, the other thing is, you know, like somebody, I've got a friend who always says this funny thing, like, the definition of an alcoholic is, you know, is somebody who puts down the drink and their life gets a thousand times worse. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not like, cause, cause like we were talking about like alcohol is a symptom. It's not the problem. Yeah. And then, you know, like the, the only way to, to get better. Cause like an alcoholic is a sick person who needs to get better. Right. And putting down the alcohol is the first thing, but it's by no means the only thing. You have to fill that empty void in yourself with some form of positive, you know, positivity, therapy, spirituality, whatever it is. And uh, and we talk about how esteemable actions create self-esteem. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that as well. And like, you know, because I I was a person who chased all the wrong things in order to try and make myself feel better, whether it was sex or validation or, you know, all this stuff, all the stuff that I've talked about. And then I discovered you know, it's kind of like that Mr. Rogers thing. Like when you're nice to people and when you, when, when you go out of your way to help somebody else and, and in a way that's not, you're not trying to like boost your own ego by doing it. You're not trying to do something good and then tell everybody about it. You start to feel better about yourself. And these little things are like the foundation, you know, like these little things are like the foundation that I started to build a new life for myself. I love that. I also love Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Shout out Pittsburgh. Um, What advice would you give to your younger self, like six or seven years ago, let's say? Hmm, that's a very good question. Um, it's difficult because I don't think that I would be the person I am today if I hadn't gone through all the stuff that I had gone through. But yeah. I guess the things that I, I guess I don't, I mean, I could have told myself stuff, but I don't think that I would have. I, I, I don't think I could have understood it because I only understand some of the stuff that I see were the problems in my life now with the gift of hindsight. Um, but I think that I would say that like social climbing is gross. Yeah. I, I was a big social climber. Um, that there's no happiness to be found, you know, at one Oak at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. Which is funny because now I like, I work at one Oak, you know, I DJ, <laughs> basement of one oak and i have a great time until four o'clock in the morning but it's a it's in a completely different way um i would say that like you don't find the love of your life in a nightclub um that if the only time you hang out with people is when you're drinking and using drugs with them then maybe you're they're not your real friend yeah um that you know like you need to focus not so much on like how much people like you on, and, and whether or not you like them and whether you like yourself. Um, and, and then like, I was, re- you know, like, did, have you ever heard this expression of, um, you know, with friendships, like you can either have four quarters or you can have a hundred pennies. No, but is that like the person with like a hundred pennies, right? I was, I, I focus all, I spread myself so thin. Like I wanted to be friends with everybody. I wanted to know everybody. And now, you know, like the people that I actually have long-term friendships with that, you know, it's, it's a small amount of people. And a lot of them are the people that I've been friends with for over 10 years. And a lot of those relationships, I, 
neglected when I was drinking and drugging because I cared so much about like being cool and being popular and, and you know, whatever it was. And so like, I, I would have said probably like spend a lot more time and focus on the relationships that matter. I love that expression now. It's funny because I would call myself a four quarters person, like by and large, because I have a small amount of really great friends. Um, but I've never heard like a, of like an analogy to that. So <laughs> I'm going to be using that. Um, and so, you know, now being like six and a half years sober and, you know, having all of this like wisdom and, hind- and um, self-awareness, like, do you still struggle with your mental health? Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. And you know, like I, I may have some wisdom on my own life, but like, I don't, I don't think that I would necessarily call myself a wise person. Like I still mm-hmm. make mistakes and, um, and yeah, I definitely still fall into the trap of like another thing that I, that I think that I have learned, but I haven't mastered it. I'm, I'm definitely not even close to mastering it. But one thing I hear a lot is that there's no point in worrying, right? Because worrying doesn't change any of the situations in my life, but I can mm-hmm. still spend weeks on end obsessing about when my next job is coming or why this person doesn't like me back or why my Instagram is not getting as many likes as I want it to, or what, you know, like whatever the stupid or why I'm not making as much money as I think that I should be or whatever it is, you know, like why is that person doing better than me in, in, in life? Um, and like worry and self pity don't get me anywhere at all. Um, and I, and I, I wish that I could like, like I, I know that to be true. And the other thing that I know to be true that I still fall into the trap is that like, I know that money doesn't make me happier. I know that like sex doesn't make me happier. I know that validation doesn't make me happier. I know that no amount of Instagram followers or TikTok followers or whatever is ever going to change how I feel about myself. Mm-hmm. But I still believe in some part of my brain that it will. Yeah. If money and fame were like the keys to happiness, then Kanye West and the Kardashians would be the happiest people alive, right? Yeah. Yeah, but and yet people still like follow their lives and, you know, are invested and it's interesting. Do you feel like you've, like, what do you fill you know that void with now if it's not esteemable acts or like when when you're in a bad place is it instagram like yeah i guess like i when i'm when i'm not doing so well i find myself and you know like i don't i try not to fall into these like i try to like nip these things in the bud before it gets too deep but like i guess there's things that i have historically done have been like definitely chase attention from women and um i find myself like needling people do you know what i mean when i say needling like i i find myself like bothering people whether it's trying to get a bit of attention or start a little bit of drama in my own life or you know like chase a bit of chaos start an argument with one of my best friends just to uh, like blow off some steam so it's like self-sabotage almost yeah yeah definitely self-sabotage and i try not to do that stuff but i i know for myself that things are not going well in my life when I start looking at everybody around me and starting to think to myself, like, this is how they could be living their life in a different way. Like when I start like judging everybody around me and especially thinking about how if they behave differently, I would be happier. 
So like how their actions affect you kind of. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's when I really know that like, I'm starting to get like sick and suffering in my own head. That's so interesting. I feel like, I mean, part of something like I'm working on mostly because like I'm going down the route of becoming a therapist. And I've become obviously increasingly interested in psychology is like, I'll try to psychoanalyze people. Not for my, like, not because actually now that I think about it in many ways, like for some people, like if I'm talking to my mom, I'm like, it's cause it would benefit me in some ways if she did X, Y, or Z. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, you know, it's, that's their decision to make whether they want to go to therapy, whether they want to, you know, work on themselves, stop doing something that's harmful for themselves. Like it's a, it's a decision they'll make at some point maybe, but there's nothing I can really do to control it. Yeah, totally. As annoying as that is. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, me really quick. I just wanted to talk about a couple of my amazing sponsors. The first being Sakara. Sakara is a company that delivers fresh, organic, perfectly portioned meals um, right to your home or your, you know, virtual office or wherever you are so that you can get back to feeling really good again, both mentally, physically, etc. I feel like at the beginning of every year, you know, you're thinking about like, how do I become my best self for 2021 or whatever. And a lot of that usually is around like eating well, um, whether it be for your like physical, you know, health or your mental well-being. And something I love about Sakara is like, their philosophy is very like based on it's very much based on like eating well so that you can feel what well in your brain feel well in your body um and they have a bunch of different programs whether it's like their signature program or their 10-day reset um and then they have a clean boutique where i get my probiotics and metabolism super powder so i just highly recommend them they really are about like feeding your like mind body and soul which is super cool. So if you want 20% off your order, you can go to sakara.com and then they use the code XOZOE at checkout. So again, that's sakara.com, code is XOZOE and you'll get 20% off your order. Well, anyways, before I wrap up, I always end with a few questions. So unrelated to anything that we've talked about, but what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I, okay, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something. I think that I've gone through a lot of heartbreak and having people I really cared about dying and uh, going through situations that I thought I would not be able to get through. I've, I've, I've gone through situations in my life, some of which occurred to me and some of which were of my own making that I thought that I would not be able to get through and that I thought were going to kill me or that I genuinely thought that I would have to kill myself over because I didn't think that I, there was any way through. I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel and going very slowly and putting one foot in front of the other and, and moving through some of those things with an enormous amount of help with therapy, with, you know, with support from people and getting to a point where I no longer thought like waking up was going to kill me the realization that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you just have to move towards it. And that like the things that I thought were going to kill me, didn't kill me have definitely made me stronger. 
but only through consistent work and only through putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And thank you for sharing that because, I, yeah, I know the feeling of losing someone you really care about and it's like, not like I wouldn't wish that feeling on anyone like in the entire world. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Mm, yeah, some of the, yeah, and I, I mean, there's the, there's the meme about this and some, sometimes the reason is because you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah, I think that like everything happens for a reason for sure. But a lot of the times the things that happen to me are either because I've done something good or I've done something bad. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Yes, I do. I love the quote from Oscar Wilde. We're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking up at the stars. Oh, I like that. I haven't heard that. Um, what do you love most about yourself? My sense of humor. How so? Well, I, th- I, think, I'm th- I think I'm the funniest person I know. <laughs> Other people don't necessarily think that, but I think that. And that keeps me going. I think the ability to, to laugh at myself has, has helped me to, you know, cause and I'm also somebody who takes myself extremely seriously sometimes, but the ability to, to be able to laugh at myself and laugh at, at situations that are occurring have definitely helped me. How did the name Isaac likes come, come up? Uh, because in 2007, so I started my blog, isaaclikes.com in 2008 in 2006 to 2007, there was a really famous blog called Stuff White People Like. And it was kind of this like parody blog, making fun of white people. And then it became a book that they sold at Urban Outfitters. Oh, yeah. I was like, that seems familiar. It was like a list of things like white people like, whether it was like sushi or minivans or whatever. You know, it was just like this. Yeah. It was a parody website. And I thought that was great. And I liked the list. And so I started a blog, Isaac Likes, kind of like taking from that. And my blog was like, it was, everything was numbered. It was like a list of things. And also I thought Isaac Likes rhymed. Lots of people disagree with me that it doesn't rhyme, but it, I think that it does. It's got assonance. Isaac Likes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I wasn't an English major, so I'm just going <laughs> to knock on anything. Um, and finally, my last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? Whether it be New York, Miami, Auckland. How do I find solace in the city? I think the best way to find solace is with a really, really good, open, honest conversation with somebody that I care about. I love that. I know that's what I try to do with this podcast. <laughs> Have really open, honest conversations that are just recorded and then distributed. <laughs> well, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone like follow you, learn more about you, um, support a cause you care about? I'm on Instagram and TikTok, Isaac Likes with an underscore at the end, I-S-A-A-C-L-I-K-E-S underscore. Um, and then I have my own clothing brand, I Like You, which I'm wearing right now. And that's at I Like You on Instagram. Awesome. That's a good uh, name you got or what's it called? Handle. Handle, yeah, it was, it was a good one. We had to kick somebody off who... <laughs> hadn't used it for like seven years and we, we we were able to get the account very luckily nice well anyways thank you so much isaac and bye everyone thank you